Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today is a fun day for me. I have someone who is a dear friend, who used to be my boss, and who we always have a lot of fun. She is the former Chief Operating Officer of Sotheby's International Realty. She's currently the co-founder and CEO of Views, a real estate tech company, which we're going to be talking about in greater detail in today's conversation. Julie Larenhart Latore. Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. It's so much fun, of course, for me to be here with you. We always have a good time. Do it's really great just to have a conversation. You know, it's sort of like remember when we first met? It was just you. Uh, the first thing we did, I invited you to my birthday party. I think we had known each other for two hours. Yeah, like two hours maybe. <laughs> and we were so excited. I think we might have held hands, and you know, <laughs> so I always love getting to spend some time with you. So do I. So do I. But listen, you have had one of the most interesting careers. I know of anyone. I mean, you started as being a high school teacher, then you became an attorney, you worked for two top real estate global companies. How did this all come about? Start sharing, please, a little bit with the listeners on your career trajectory. I think it's fascinating. Isn't it crazy? I mean, yes. about it. I'm like a girl from suburban Southern California. You know, I had no no idea that this the, all these possibilities existed for me when I was a girl. Um, but I just knew I was curious about life, and I wanted to get the most out of it that I could. And I just kind of found that along the way, I followed my curiosity and I followed my interest, and this is where I've wound up. So I'm very happy to share it with you and our listeners. Um, so yeah, I started as a high school teacher in suburban Southern California. I worked uh, in Los Angeles for a couple of years, teaching high school girls who were actually like one step from a lockdown facility. It was a private group home. Um, and we started a school newspaper. I hosted the prom, like we had a great time. It was one of the hardest jobs I've ever had, but also one of the most rewarding jobs that I've ever had. Um, from there, I went on to be a project manager for a nonprofit in Los Angeles, uh, teaching healthcare education to immigrant women from Latin America. And then I moved to New York in my mid 20s. I went there for a weekend, fell in love with the city and said, I have to live here. <laughs> I basically uh, finished out the school year, packed up my car, drove across the country and rolled into the East Village in the 90s and was like, I'm here. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I took whatever jobs I needed to take until I got settled in there. Um, and then I remember shortly after 9-11, uh, I, you know, like everyone was in a is a difficult time. I wound up going to work as a temp for Merrill Lynch down in the World Financial Center. I'd never experienced anything like that, like coming out of you know Southern California. I worked on the sales floor, on the trading floor, and started to get a bit of a, a you know an interest in finance and and the markets. I went to work for another nonprofit in New York, um, the Community Service Society of New York, where I did healthcare education and advocacy. And while I was there, uh, we had a contract with the state of New York to develop education programs for residents of New York City. And every time I wanted to do something, we were creating this program from the ground up, I was told I had to go talk to legal. I had to go ask the lawyers for permission. And so I figured, well then, I wanna be the lawyer. And so I wound up going to law school um, pretty later in my career. And in fact, I went as, as a single mother with a four-year-old son at home, like you know. 
Uh, it was a crazy thing to do. Everyone told me that I was completely crazy. And I said, yeah, maybe, <laughs> but I'm going to give it a try. And like you said, I came out, I worked for um, Cadwallader, Wickersham and Taft in their commercial real estate finance group. And um, I started in 2007, September. So our clients were uh, Goldman Sachs, Ferris, oh my gosh. Lehman Brothers, <laughs> uh, HSBC, Citibank. And um, needless to say, it was a very, very challenging time. Not unlike sort of the, the crazy times that we've gone through recently and have been going through. Um, sure. It was really challenging. Um, there were four rounds of layoffs in the first year that I managed to survive. And I went on there to practice uh, for another four and a half years, took a, a short stint at Cleary Gottlieb. And then I got a call from a recruiter. Uh, they were looking for someone at Christie's International Real Estate to join the business team. So it was an opportunity for me to make a transition from the legal side to you know the business side of things. I was um, hired there to be the vice president of affiliate services, global affiliate services, something you know a lot about. Of and, course. Um, I, I worked there two years in New York City and then two years in London. And then I got the call from Sotheby's International Realty that they were looking for a chief operating officer. And I thought, that's going to be my next job. And sure enough, then I met you. And uh, <laughs> you know the rest from there. I, I've spent the last two and a half years there with Sotheby's and just recently left in the last couple of months to go off and uh, start my own venture, like you mentioned, which I'm excited to tell you more about. But yeah, it's been a crazy path. Um, very unexpected, not you know, straight and narrow by any means, but um, it's been challenging, but very satisfying to me at the same time. So I'm already tired in right? <laughs> listening to all of this. You've lived 12 lifetimes. This is ridiculousness. I feel that way sometimes. I'm a little tired myself. I have been sleeping in a little later than normal lately. Well, this is good. This is good. Catching you know, in the last 20 years. <laughs> Well, remember when it was, it was funny because uh, whenever we used to have our morning meetings, you used to say to me, did you go to the gym today? Because I used to wake up at four in the morning to be at the gym oh, at five. It yeah, was like, yeah. you've got way too much energy. Simmer down. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I used up a lot of mine, but I'm still, I'm still going. I'm still going. <laughs> so I want to go back to a few transition points because we're going to need a PowerPoint to go through your incredible career. <laughs> so let me go back to the two, to one of the beginning ones. So I think that actually, you know, I, I really didn't know that you were dealing so much with really philanthropic um, organizations early on with your teaching of the private group home and then really working with nonprofits. I think that that's really incredibly beautiful and you know and knowing you your your spirit back into and to inspire and to teach and so a lot of that makes sense to me now but it's a huge sort of leap to go from educator to attorney and your son was four years old when you decided to go to law school that must have been incredible sacrifices you're a single mom i mean you know talk to me about that where like people thought you were crazy. Where did that make sense? When you sort of said, okay, I'm just, forget about being an educator. I'm going to go be an attorney. Yeah, no, totally. Well, it's interesting because like I said, it was partly that in my nonprofit work, every time I wanted to do something, I had to look at the legal documents or the lawyers had to look at the legal documents. And I started to realize that, you know, that's where the power sat. And, um, 
I wanted to, you know, advance in my career beyond what I was doing. And so to be honest, I went to law school to be a public interest lawyer. In fact, wow. I was president of the Stein Scholars Public Interest Group at Fordham Law School, where I went to school. Great experience there. The Stein Scholars Group is a group of public interest lawyers who have gone on to have incredible careers in nonprofit and humanitarian work. Um, sometimes joke that I think they would think I'm a tremendous sellout. However, I think I have stayed true to, to who I am and in my ability to be caring and genuine and to give back and, and to have been focused on things like uh, new story, you know, the, the charitable yeah. work that we did at Sotheby's, you know, with families in Mexico and Haiti and providing homes there. And, um, and I've always looked for ways to serve others, even in, you know, people think that the, you know, maybe sometimes the only way you can be of service to others is to work in a nonprofit or to be a teacher. But I find that along the way, I've been able to be of great service to the people I was working with, lawyers, bankers, you know, real estate agents and professionals, everybody's just out there doing the best that we can. And, um, you know, if you listen and you pay attention, there's a lot of opportunity to be of service to others. So, but in terms of the transition itself, um, yeah, it was crazy. My son marched off to kindergarten on the same day that I marched off to law school. He both had our backpacks on, we dropped him off, I kissed him goodbye, and I showed up on day one of law school with a bunch of kids just out of college. And I just thought, all right, let's do this. And you know me, Michael, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to really do it. 100%. <laughs> I was all in, and I just thought, I, I got I to gotta crush this. Like, there's no mediocrity for me here. There's like, you know, do or die, because there is a lot of sacrifice being made. I would literally take my son to school at 7 a.m., take the bus into the city, um, go to school all day. You know, every minute I was there, I was, I was trying to focus and study. I would do as much as I could, pick him up at five from school, bring him home, do dinner, stories, bath time, bedtime, and then get up, get back on my computer at eight or nine o'clock until sometimes two or three in the morning and then get up at six and do it all over again. I really, when I say I'm making up for my sleep, I'm only partly kidding. I think for... <laughs> years of my life, I probably got about three or four hours of sleep every night. And I am not one of those people who doesn't need sleep. <laughs> I like my sleep. So um, it was a sacrifice. And, you know, I wasn't there as much. I, you know, I showed up for every school play, every soccer game, every grandparents day. Um, but, you know, it came at a sacrifice of sleep and right. a lot of other things. And yeah, even my father told me I was crazy. Um, and I, you know, I said, well, we'll see. And it was very hard, um, but it really taught me what I was made of and what I was capable of, just like anything any of us do where you really push yourself, you know, to, to the limits. And then you come out the other side and you have a much clearer sense of who you are, of what's important and, you know, what you're capable of. So making the transition to lawyer, you know, interestingly for me, you know, I was a transactional attorney. I was not a litigator. I didn't have any interest in that. But to me, being a transactional attorney was all about solving problems and managing projects. You know, so for example, the first deal I did in 2007, it was the last big real estate financing deal of the, of the boom, boom days, whatever we're calling them. And um, it was the Hilton privatization, $20 billion. You know, you've got local counsel in every country in the world, in every state in the United States. You've got sure. attorneys reading leases and franchise agreements, and you've got title companies, and you've got, you know, banks and mortgage recordings. And 
So to me, it was like doing a puzzle. It was like solving a problem. It was managing people. And um, I found that very similar to the work that I had done in some of my nonprofit work in project management is, you know, motivating people to, to get the work done, um, solving the problems that came along. And um, I really enjoyed that. And I think, you know, I found when I got the offer at Christie's that that's what I realized I loved the project management part of the transactional law, the problem solving part, the business part, more than I liked the lawyering part. <laughs> and so when I had that opportunity to jump over to the business side, it felt like a very uh, natural transition. But like I said, it was 2007 and it was a really difficult time. And you know, like every good lawyer, I wasn't home as much as I wish I had been. But, you know, at that point, I was a single mom. I had a son to take care of. And sure. I had to take care of my family. And Absolutely. I that was the best way for me to do it. And so I did it. You know, you, you just like everyone, you do what you do what you have to do when, when it's required of you. And, you know, and I think there's incredible skill sets that you obviously uh, gained from that and, and, and that you actually probably did with every bit of your transitions of different parts of your career that you've done. I know that when you and I worked together as a chief operating officer that you in that role, you were amazing of really having an analytical system of doing tasks and coming in saying this is how you sort of reach your KPIs. This is when you uh, decide this is this is good job. And so I think that skill set has been extraordinary that it looks like you started early on with your law school career and, and moving on to your as an attorney. Yeah, I think that having a training as an attorney, uh, you know, going through law school and having that experience as an attorney is it's a very uh, refining process. It teaches you how to think in a different way than than maybe you you know you think naturally. Sure. Um, it teaches you to assess risk. It teaches you to uh, solve problems, and you know, I I'm very appreciative that I worked at a firm at Cadwallader where um, it was a business uh, uh, a business person's law firm. You know, we worked for the banks and we. We understood the importance of doing what was right legally and of mitigating risk, but we also knew there was a balance between doing those two things and getting a deal done. And I really appreciated that because I think we all know that there are times when you feel like lawyers can really just slow down or bog down a process uh -huh. or getting done. And I'm really grateful that I was trained in, in a firm where there was a good balance of that. And so I feel like it allowed me to, it, you know, in my business career, to not get paralyzed by that legal side of my brain that wants to analyze all of the risk and, and foresee every potential you know, problem along the way. But it gave me enough ability to analyze the risk sufficiently so that I could make wise business choices um, for our team. And it shows. Training. Yeah. Thanks. So let's, <laughs> let's move on. And uh, now for those that are sort of listening on closely, we're now on career number three. Now let's talk about transitioning from attorney to when you started as European head of servicing for Christie's in London. And that also, you know, it seems like a leap there as well, although I can see where, you know, you were servicing clients as an attorney, but different, um, really in a different way. And so what sort of tactical change was necessary in your psyche to also be successful in yet this other new career that you had in, uh, endeavored in? 
Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, pointing out that, you know, being a lawyer in the capacity that I was, was a was very client focused, client service type of uh, profession. Um, so that helped me in the transition because, of course, working for Christie's International Real Estate and also at Sotheby's International Realty, it's mm -hmm. a very client focused business, right? So I was used to going in and listening to my clients and understanding what their needs were and what the issues were that they were facing and then looking at the resources that we had in order to help them you know solve their problems or maximize their opportunities um, so that experience as a lawyer really did help me in that i think that um well you know and also i, I was about to say i think the one thing that was the transition was learning about the personalities of sometimes <laughs> in the real estate profession. However, there oh, come on, there's many, no personalities in real estate. There's many personalities in the banking profession as well. <laughs> and I mean, lawyers, I mean, we're not, you know, we're not uh, without our quirks. So, you know, I don't know. I just feel like, honestly, my curiosity about people, about places, I've always loved to travel. I've always yeah. loved languages. I speak Spanish. I started to learn French when I was, you know, living in London and South Kensington and traveling to Paris for work. Um, I've always, um, I think if you show up in a place and you have curiosity and interest in the people and the place, um, then you'll be welcomed. And I mean, it, it was a culture shock, you know, because you did, you lived there. You, you and I did a, a very similar job there. It's funny that we never met then, but I know it's crazy, isn't it? You know, we've talked about and, and joked about how, what we learned, you know, while living and working in London and it's very different culturally and that, yeah. that was a big shock for me i thought you know they speak english we speak english you know they don't speak english <laughs> um but you know you know like i do um that there are a lot of cultural differences and a lot of them are much more nuanced and subtle than a new yorker like you or i um <laughs> might notice right away and i do think i was pretty good at um figuring that out um, in fact, I remember one day um, my team from New York had come to London because we were planning our big global, you know, conference, networking conference in London. And the New York team was talking a mile a minute and loudly and they were just asserting themselves. And I had this kind of sitting in the middle watching this and thinking, wow, I have changed because I was really aware of how just loud they seemed. <laughs> so I had to kind of broker, you know, to say, well, you know, let's hear from the London team. It is their conference after all. <laughs> you know, it, it was so funny because when I, you know, we, li we lived in London, I think we figured out the, the timing. We, I think we lived in London at the same time doing the exact same job for competitors and we never met, which was really funny. Um, and so it was, uh, it was crazy. But I remember when I was living in London and I would get off the tube on, on Bond Street uh, mm -hmm. to get to Sotheby's. Um, mm -hmm. And it was just craziness because I was so angry at the tourists that were coming to London. <laughs> it was like, get out of the way. It was. <laughs> well, remember, I came from like Wall Street and the World Financial Center. So I was very uh, used to tourists and Lincoln Center before that. So yeah. Uh, you're, yeah, you're like, just move it. That's where I learned the term sidewalk rage. <laughs> it's real. It's a thing. <laughs> it happens. It uh, does. It yeah. does. 
Yeah. You know, you know, you you mentioned it um, as we're talking about this and really the importance that you start learning from the different cultures, the different nuances. And really, London is the epicenter in Europe, much the way that New York is in the United States. And so start looking at this and you know how important a global consumer is to a brand like a Christie's. Yes. How you went about attracting that global consumer? Yeah, sure. So I think, um, I mean, the brand did a lot of the work in attracting the consumer in both instances. Um, but it's, you know, as well as I do, so important to build relationships. And so I think for anyone working in that space, uh, in the and all of us more and more so are working in a global marketplace, no matter where we live, that it's really important to get connected. So to get connected to a global network. So that was the beauty, right, of being at Christie's or being at Sotheby's was they had a global network in place, but really reaching out and, and getting to know as many people within the network as possible and really building relationships. And when you go around the world, you've, you've learned like I have that Americans are very transactionally based, but when you go outside of that, there's a much deeper relational um, level to doing business, I think, than most of us are used to here. That takes some slowing down and, you know, paying attention to the, you know, sort of the, the being polite and paying attention to these sort of, um, what would you call them? Like rituals or the form, you know, the, the things you do, you pour a cup of tea before of you course. start meeting. Absolutely. You don't even try to talk business until everyone has got their cup of tea. Um, and that, you know, it was a real opportunity to, um, to learn to that deepen that personal side of the business uh, relationship. And, you know, it's very personally satisfying, obviously, as well. And I think, you know, something that I brought back here with me is that ability to slow down to make those connections. So I encourage anyone in that global marketplace to connect with some sort of a, a global network where you can meet others in other places. If you don't have a global real estate network, you know, you can look at uh, you know, business organizations, cultural organizations, you know, banks, family offices, people to build relationships in other places. Um, and then you have to be willing to learn. You have to, you know, so you've got to study. You, I learned so much about, you know, Paris and French chateaus and, you know, um, the real estate industry in Dubai and things that I'd never really had to think much about that I suddenly had to become a quick student of. Um, but the Lovely. more you learn, right? The more you want to learn and- um, And it becomes- you know, but it becomes that thing where the globe then becomes the best classroom for you. Yes. Yeah. You and know? if you're open, if you're open, yes, you can learn so much. Um, oh. people, people will welcome you into their world and share it with you. And your life is enriched, you know, because of those experiences, if you stay open. It truly, it truly is. Your, in addition to your business, which is also yeah. enriched, which is great too. Um, but I think personally, there's an enrichment there that's very satisfying. Absolutely. So and then came Sotheby's International Realty, where we met, and you yeah. served as, yes, as the chief operating officer. You were overseeing our global affiliates uh, in 74 countries, obviously, including the United States. Tell me three lessons you learned in serving in that position? Yeah, absolutely. So the first one I think I learned as I was reflecting on this question is that 
real estate sales and brokerage is hard. <laughs> I think that I had a much closer um, connection to the day-to-day -day business operations of our affiliates at Sotheby's uh, than I did when I was at Christie's. And especially over the course of the last two years, the industry has changed tremendously. There's more pressure than ever. You know, there are more tools to have to learn and so much information. We are more global than ever. And so there, it is important to look outside of your own market, to build those relationships. Um, it's just getting, I think, you know, even more difficult and more competitive that, you know, people think that real estate agents, uh, professionals go into it and they have some part-time deal, you know, or they can make their own hours. Well, that basically means they're working all the time <laughs> and yep. they're at the beck and call of any client at any hour. Um, and you know, the agents that we know and the professionals that we know in the real estate industry, they really do go above and beyond. It's a lifestyle and you know they they love it and they're great at it but it does take you know tremendous amount of effort and um energy to be that giving of yourself as a person and to do it well and to do it really well yeah and to do it with generosity and kindness and uh, not as a you know as an inconvenience or a burden um i think the second thing i learned is something we've talked about along the way is that relationships rule so if you reach out and you connect with others and you think about what can I do for them, um, then you will see that return to you tenfold um, and you will build a network of people who also want to give to you. Um, those relationships will teach you, they'll inspire you, and they will serve you in your business um, and in your life. So, you know, in fact, in this difficult time that we're living through now, you know, especially back in April when we were first going through all this social distancing, I, um, you know, got decided I was going to use the technology. To, it was my saving grace. I started to host virtual happy hours like I know a number of other people did, connecting with a lot of the agents and broker owners and people that I had worked with at Sotheby's International Realty and at Christie's and other places in my life. Um, so those relationships ended up coming in handy in, on, you know, in my personal life as well as just in my working life. So surround, you know, build those relationships. And then kind of along the same lines as that is, you know, Michael, I always believe in surrounding yourself with the best and the smartest team that you can. So I know that the success of my business is not just about how smart I am, <laughs> but how smart the people are that I hire and, and have the privilege to work with. Um, because if, if I empower the team to, you know, um, take responsibility to bring everything that they know um, to, to shine and to be good at what they do, then they're going to make me look good. And so it's better for everybody. So those were the three biggest takeaways, I think, you know, in addition to all the great people uh, and all the fun that we had along the way. We sure did. And I think, you know, those are some beautiful statements that you did. And I think that that is, especially the last one, such an incredible um, foresight for a leader that you are um, as great as your uh, team is. And you actually have to motivate and elevate in order for you to really shine and it's uh and that's a really beautiful statement which you did so eloquently and really so you did it so well and so it's always a lot of fun it was always a fun what's that you made it easy <laughs> i had a great team i really did 
It was really a lot of fun. And so, okay, so, so you know, you, you really are one of the most prominent female leaders in our industry, and I know how important it is to make sure that the door is still open for other um, female minorities and diversity groups to really come in after you. But tell me a bit about those efforts, because I know that they're really, you're very passionate about that. Yeah, I guess I am. I mean, it's funny, when I was younger, I never really thought about it as about being a, a female, about about that making me <laughs> any different than anybody else. You know, when I when I charged through law school and in those first years as a lawyer on Wall Street, I mean, it's a boys club. And for a lot of my career, it's been that way. I mean, you know, how many meetings did we sit in in the last two and a half years where I was the only woman in the room time and time and time again. And, um, you know, I never thought of it as a disadvantage. I never thought of it for a long time, even as I didn't hardly even register it. Um, but I did start to kind of more recently, I guess, as I've risen through the ranks, because as you do get higher up in, in the, you know, kind of the ranks in the business world, you do find fewer and fewer women at the top. And it made me, you know, wonder why, why are there fewer of us at the top? And, um, you know, I mean, it can be lonely. I remember, um, we went on a golf, we had a golf, um, like outing one of, with one of my teams along the way, um, and we did our sales meeting on the golf course. And when we were done and we all went to the locker rooms before dinner, I was in the ladies locker room by myself. And I thought, <laughs> you know, wow, this is kind of lonely. Um, but, you know, so yeah, it has been important for me to look at why, why, what is it that's tripping up women along the way and how can I help to maybe remove some of those barriers? And I, you know, what I think it is, is just that I, I think that I'm about removing barriers for people, you know, regardless of their gender and giving people opportunities to take ownership, to speak up, to be heard, um, to take pride in their work, um, to set boundaries. It turns out that typically men do these things more comfortably than women sometimes, and they need a push. Um, so I'm often, you know, I've, I've been the one to try to give them that push and that nudge and say, you know, I know it feels uncomfortable, but don't count yourself out. Um, don't automatically opt out. I think a lot of women do opt out because they think I, I won't be, you know, I do want to be home with my kids or I do have parents I'm taking care of or so they think maybe they won't be enough. But the truth is they are enough and that they can do they can do a lot and they can do both. And so rather than like opting themselves out, I always say, go for it and push as far and hard as you want to, and you can let someone else tell you that you're not enough if that's the case, which usually it's not. Um, so yeah, I think along the way, you know, when I was, when I first experienced it actually was when I was at Wall Street with a bunch of bankers, right? Um, like I mentioned, it's kind of a boys club. And what I noticed in the whole legal community there, at least where I was at that time, is that the women who had made it senior up, the partner and other things, they made it very difficult for the junior women. In fact, even more difficult than for the junior men. And I thought, this just seems so crazy. But I think they felt like they had to struggle so hard to get there, that we had to struggle too. And that if they looked like they were favoring the women, that maybe it would look like they were in, you know, being, you know, not fair or something. But I just think that's crazy. We all need to, you know, give a hand to people coming up who, who are like us, um, wherever we can. 
So I actually helped to co-found the Women's Leadership Initiative there at the law firm with one of the women partners. We brought in speakers and wow. anyone who wanted to attend, but focused primarily on the kinds of skills and meetings and networking for women. Um, and then, as you know, when I was at Sotheby's International Realty, we started a women's group. It started really informally um, at the end of an event, actually, at one Sotheby's International Realty in Miami, there was a handful of women at the end of the night there, and we were all talking. There were marketing professionals and agents and people from all across the country. And I just thought, wow, there's so much talent and so much wisdom and, and smartness right here. Like, we need to harness this somehow. So we started, um, you know, at the big conferences hosting sort of pre-event events, little networking cocktail parties or things like that. Um, and virtual networking to allow just giving women a chance to network in a way that's maybe more comfortable for them for, you know, for maybe not everyone who feels so comfortable walking into a big group of people. Uh, so that was a lot of fun seeing, seeing those women, um, a lot of smart people and a lot of energy and um, just seeing them step up again, you know, when you give people the opportunity to take the lead and say, Hey, run with it, go for it. Um, just giving them the platform, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, um, and that's really the majority of what it is. It's giving somebody the platform to really shine. And that's what I think is beautiful about your efforts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it wasn't me. I said, I can't do it, but I think you guys should do it and I'll show up from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So they did. They really I did. love that. Still, you know, still getting together to this day. I love that. Oh, look, now, now we've, we've actually gotten to current day. So. Oh, my goodness. That only took 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're the co-founder and CEO of Views. It's a technology startup that's focused in the real estate. I want to hear all about this new venture. Yes. Well, I'm very excited to tell you about it. So like you mentioned, it's a real estate technology company. Um, it's actually something that I... It started about two years ago with um, a woman named Leanna Creel, who's actually my co-founder in the business. Um, I was working, it was probably three years ago, I was working at Christie's and she shot some video for us. She's a professional videographer. She's also a filmmaker. She's made a number of independent films, including a couple of short uh, award-winning short films. Um, and uh, we've actually known each other for a good part of our lives. And watched each other's careers grow. She's been in LA making films. I've been in New York and all over the place doing what I do. And um, we thought that you know, there's really a need in the market for agents to be able to produce and create uh, professional quality video, but something that they could do on their phones in minutes, in real time, very affordably. Um, because, you know, professional video is very expensive. It takes time. Um, and especially internationally and globally, that's where we really figured it out was in Hong Kong. We were looking to shoot a video, a, per, uh, a corporate video, and she was looking for places to shoot. And so she went on the website looking for videos of properties that might be appropriate for shooting. And there was no video. These are like multi-million dollar places in Hong Kong. You know what I'm talking about. Of course and I do. There was no video marketing for them as important as we know marketing is as much as um, I'm sorry, as important as video is in our marketing, as much as we know all the statistics that say that, you know, 85% of buyers and sellers want to work with an agent who uses video and that video gets like 1200 times the number of click throughs of any text or image alone. Um, but you know, it's still a lot of agents aren't using it for the reasons I mentioned. So 
I said, wouldn't that be great? So she went and she started making it happen and she started creating this app. And we talked about it over the time that I was at Sotheby's as she was developing it. And it's finally gotten to the point where we've got a proof of concept um, MVP that we hopefully by the time this airs, we will have beta because we're getting ready to beta at any moment. And, um, you know, we thought we had probably six months of runway to get this up and off the ground and launched probably in September. And with everything that's happened in the last month or two with social distancing and sheltering in place and the disruption to our regular work lives, it really accelerated um, our efforts. We were, I was getting dozens of texts and emails every day from people in the Sotheby's International Realty Network and across you know, the real estate industry saying, we need this product now, when can we get it? So we've been working around the clock, my team and I, to get it finished and get it out um, to beta soon. We're still raising funds to continue the full development and get it out to the full market as soon as we can. But um, what it is, is it's basically a tool that allows agents to shoot video using their mobile phone, uh, their smartphone. Did I just say mobile phone? Um, <laughs> <laughs> their smartphone. And it's like the 90s or something. I don't know. It just happened. Um, and it allows them to use Did they have to unflip your phone, though? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, hold on. Um, so it allows them to shoot video on their phone by themselves. So rather than having to hire a professional, they can go into a property, they can shoot the video on their phone, but it's also created by a filmmaker. So it, it, it harnesses all the best practices that we know about making real estate videos. And it's turned it into algorithms that prompt the agent to, it creates a shot list for them. It tells them exactly what to shoot. It gives them filmmaking tips along the way to get the best shots that they can. And then they push a button and it edits it into a video with the text overlays, the music and everything. And from their phone, they can upload it to their social media channels, to Instagram, Facebook. They can email it, they can text it. So it's a pretty cool tool. There's nothing out there that's doing quite exactly that. There are other you know, video making tools, but nothing that's catering to the real estate community in quite that way. Uh, so we're really excited to bring it to market. It's it's come out of a very real need that, you know, we've experienced and we've been hearing about. And um, we're excited to bring it to people, you know, now more than ever when um, we all have to rely on the technology <laughs> more than we ever have. Um, I mean, that sounds amazing to me, and especially on a global scale. And it sounds like it's going to be a home run for you. And it's I, you deserve it. This is extraordinary. And for the listeners, again, it's called Views, V-U-S-E. And um, it's, uh, I love this. I mean, I'm looking forward to this technology. Well, thank you. And I think, like you said, internationally, it's, it's, so, it's such, got such a need. And um, it's super easy to use, which, you know, you know me, Michael, I'm not the most completely technologically savvy person, <laughs> but it gets super complicated, but this is so easy. And, and we want it to be, um, you know, we want there to be, it wanted to be fun to use. And for me, there's it, always a, a desire to connect people with one sure. another. And sure. I think we have sort of bigger ideas as well about uh, continuing to work on tools that focus on the relationships between agents and between um, real estate agents and their clients. 
So um, we've got other things sort of on the back burners that we're working on. But you know, the whole mission of Views is to create tools that support real estate agents. Um, you know, there's been chatter in the real estate industry in the last couple of years about real estate companies becoming technology companies and yep. technology replacing the real estate agent. And you know, Michael, you've heard me say it like ad nauseum for the last two years. I don't believe that will ever be the case. Real estate agents are incredible at what they do. They're incredibly hardworking. And we know that it's all about relationships. This is what we've been talking about for the last 100 percent 45 minutes. Absolutely. And so for us, it's not about just creating tools. It's about creating the tools that agents need and that agents want that help to demonstrate their value to their clients and to the market and to make deeper connections and relationships with their clients and with their peers because of how important it is to build those connections and networks on a global basis more and more now than ever. You know, it's exciting to see these leaders in our in our industry really focus on tech. Um, I um, spoke, to, I interviewed um, Mark Choey recently, who was, um, you know, the co-founder of Climb, as you know, and um, he actually started a technology company as well, catering to the real estate community. And it's interesting to see these leaders within different real estate global brands that understand the focus of technology and actually make it their next career choice. So it's really wonderful to see that trajectory. And this sounds like such a winner, Julie, and it's going to be amazing for you, I'm sure. Yeah, I think so. And I hope so. And like I said, we're still beta. We don't yeah. expect to bring it to market so quickly. So we're still in sort of a rough stage, but anybody who's interested in checking out the product um, during this time of challenge in the market, as it continues, we're offering it to people to beta, um, you know, without cost. We're just asking that they participate in our surveys to get feedback, to build out the best product that we can. So anyone who's interested should check it out. We can- That's terrific. Can I plug my website? <laughs> Please plug. Please check plug. It out. Um, we're at www.viewsapp.com, V-U-S-E-A-P-P, like Michael said, and just go there, sign in, put your email address, and um, we'll email you so that you can be among the first to know uh, when this thing becomes available. I love it. So I have a couple more questions for you. I want to know what advice you would give somebody entering the business today. Yeah, I thought about that one. Did you? Today... <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, I mean, because today, today, today is a crazy day. I mean, things, um, the past couple of years have been crazy, but it just seems that more than ever, things are kind of uncertain and we're, no one's quite sure what's going to happen to the market in the coming months. Um, but you know what? There's always something like that. So I think really it's the same things that always apply. Um, You've got to, you know, first of all, be persistent. You've got to be willing to work really hard, um, but you got to work smart too. And um, so I would say, you know, focusing on relationships, but also using the tools that you do have, but you don't have to use every tool that's out there. You need to just find one or two things that work for you and your style and how you like to communicate and how you like to connect. You know, I follow so many of, um, of our agents, still call them our agents on social media. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's so many different ways that people are connecting with. They sure are. 
and others. Um, some of them do it through video. Some of them do it through, you know, these great like quotes and editorial kinds of pictures or testimonials. Um, whatever your style is, though, you do need to be putting your face out there and making those connections. Um, so if you don't know how to do it now, now's the perfect time to learn. <laughs> um, so work hard, be persistent, uh, use the tools you have. And I think don't be afraid to take risks. I guess if, if there's anything to learn from my crazy career trajectory, <laughs> is don't ever let anyone tell you you're crazy and let that stop you. Um, people will tell you you're crazy all the time. And so what? Who cares? Um, but don't be afraid to try something different um, than the way people typically do it. Um, or something that seems unconventional because you never know what's going to work or what's going to be that next big. hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. And so Julie, I'm going to end with this question that I ask a lot of my guests and everyone sort of cringes at this question, <laughs> but what would you like your legacy to be, Julie? So I would like my legacy to be that people remember me that I was kind and that I was fair, um, that I pushed the boundaries of what was possible and that I inspired other people to do the same, to do things that they didn't even know they were capable of doing. Um, and that I help people feel more connected. That's what I want my legacy to be. I love that. You, you inspire so many people. You've inspired me. And, you know, it's something where I just treasure our friendship, Julie. It's been really, I, well, you were, oh, you were a wonderful leader. You were a wonderful leader in our industry. You were wonderful to work with and for. And, you know, you, you really are a great inspiration. And I um, really just treasure our friendship and you being in my life. And I thank you for the conversation today. Well, thank you too, Michael. You know, I feel the same about you. And listen, we are not finished. There's a lot of work yet to be done and a lot yes, there of is. things to get out there and accomplish. And I'm super excited to continue to do that with you. Um, so, so always happy to spend time with you, even if it is virtually. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and share my story and um, to get to talk a little bit about the new venture that I'm doing. Um, it's really been fun. So thank you, Michael. Well, Thank you. And thank you all of you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.